it is um, not uncommon to hear the word restore. And when you hear the word restore, you usually have an image of something that doesn't look great, but could look great. And, and I'm not talking about us looking in the mirror in the morning, uh, though maybe that's appropriate as well for at least myself and some of us. But I think of it in the area of the most popular thing recently being to restore a house, to flip a house, all those kind of things. And, you know, it doesn't look great, but it could. And some of you've done some of that before and you carry the scars of that mentally or physically. I also think of cars. Somebody who takes one of those that was a classic and has been neglected or abused and they restore it. I had a brother-in-law who went to the junkyard and bought a pretty beat up 65 Ford Mustang convertible. He took about a year and completely restored it. And then he sold it. I was like, are you kidding me? This beautiful cherry red 65 Mustang, four-speed convertible. And he said, yeah, I was done. I had restored it. It's like, are you kidding me? Your brother-in-law's right here. <laughs> but what about when we need restoring? started a series last week called A Call to Renewal. And in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 51 is the focus for this six-part series. And last week, we looked at verse 10. We're asking God to create in us a clean heart and to renew a right spirit. This morning, we're focusing on verse 12, where it says, Restore to me the joy of of your salvation. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. If you have your Bibles or Bible on your device, I invite you to turn with me. The book of Psalms, the Old Testament, Psalm 51. I want to read most of this Psalm this morning, and then we're going to focus again on verse 12. But Psalm 51 from the ESV, the English Standard Version, says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. 
Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right or steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. That word restore in a scriptural sense is to give back to its rightful owner whatever has been taken away. Restore. To give back to the rightful owner whatever has been taken away or destroyed. So spiritually, that's what Jesus did on the cross. He restored our relationship, the possibility of that relationship with God the Father, what we had taken away in sin, what we had taken away in disobedience, Jesus made right. In other words, he restored, he provided for you and I to be restored to our rightful owner, God the Father, the one who created us, to be restored. But why is restoration needed? Now, there's not a mom who's breathing who doesn't have many memories, or you're thinking it now, of times when you thought, if I could just restore this house to what it was after I straightened it, cleaned it, put it in place, decorated it, instead of the five minutes after the rest of my family went through the house. I saw a meme online the other day that said, no one told me when I was younger that adulting would mainly be cleaning my kitchen. Over and over and over and over. To be restored. Now we have different images of restoring. Not everybody who would have restored the Mustang that my brother-in-law did would have done it in the exact same way. They would have had a different image of that. The house, the remodeling job that you did, not everybody had that vision. They may have wanted to do something else. And now through the 
blessing and curse of HGTV. We see people have these ideas and you look at that and go, huh, I never would have thought of that. We also have those times when we go, and I'm glad I didn't think of that. But to restore something back to God and what he desires, what he wants for us. Most moms have days where they're going, I'll take restoration and take it now. Whatever the reason being, but when it comes to our relationship with Christ, we have to ask, why is restoration needed? First of all, it's needed because of broken relationships. Starting in a relationship with God, with Christ, and with others. There's nothing more painful in our human experience than a broken relationship. It's much more painful than a physical ailment. A broken relationship. But we have to start in that relationship with God, with Christ, our Savior, to have it restored. It needs to be restored because of sin. That's what... The psalmist wrote about verses one through four. And this is King David having written this after his great sin and sins actually against Bathsheba and Uriah, her husband. He had an affair. He helped commit murder. He covered it up and on and on the list goes. And at this point, after being confronted with his sin is when he writes this psalm. Restoration is needed. It's also needed for a fresh start. Last week, verse 10, a clean heart, that fresh start in us. A right spirit to renew that in us salvation to put that in the place that it should be to have it personally a fresh start of joy don't raise your hand but anybody like a little fresh start in joy this morning but don't miss in verse 12 the end of that verse a fresh start with a willing spirit. We probably don't need to spend a lot of time asking why we need restoration, but maybe we do need to ask what needs to be restored. Just like those house projects on HGTV, we go, that looked fine to me. Why are they messing that room up? Sometimes we have to ask, what really needs to be restored? Well, according to the scripture that we just read, and starting at verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Real joy needs to be restored. Verse 8 says, let me hear joy and gladness. Verse 13 says, then I will teach transgressors your ways. 
What needs to be restored is real joy. My dad was a pretty happy guy. He loved life and loved being around people. He loved pastoring. And there are some two or three moments in particular that I cherish in my times with him after being an adult. Well, some might argue I'm not quite there yet, but after hitting that age where I'm considered an adult and after I was in vocational pastoral ministry, one of those, a great highlight was standing beside my dad as we laid hands on my son and I got to pray over him for his ordination. Having the three generations represented was just, I can't express it. Another was preaching, not together in the same service, but on the same day back at a church that he used to pastor. And it was where I graduated from high school. It's also where I accepted Christ as my savior. And they had a big homecoming thing and they had uh, built a, a new building and they asked my dad and I to come back and preach. I preached one service, he preached the other. And that was just so much fun. One of the things I remember about my dad's message that day is he reminisced a little bit about things that had taken place while he had been at that church and uh, ministering there. And one of his things he said is we just enjoyed ministering here. And then he said, a kind of a throwaway line for most people, but it jumped out at me. He said, actually, I enjoyed everywhere I pastored. Because that was my choice. What he was saying is, I had joy in it. Real joy. Because of that relationship with Christ and because of loving other people and serving with them and serving them. That real joy. Not the paste on the smile right before you walk in the door on Sunday. Joy. You've been there, right? Maybe even this morning. You may have been fighting, excuse me, fussing with spouse or kids on the way here. But as you get out of the, open the doors to the car, that all goes away. But to have real joy, we need to, restoration of joy. One of the things that should be a mark of those of us who follow Christ is joy. People ought to see in us joy. Not grumbling, muttering, complaining, whining, griping, finger pointing. Do I need to go further? <laughs> I'm not saying we don't ever do that. But what ought to mark us above all else is joy. The people ought to be drawn to us and therefore our relationship with Christ because of the joy we have in serving him. The joy we have in knowing our sins are forgiven. The joy we have in serving. We need real joy restored. We also need that relationship with our Savior restored. Restore to me the joy of your 
salvation, that personal, life-changing, soul-altering, eternity-mailing-address-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. We have to have it personally. I mentioned the highlight of praying over my son and having my dad standing there and my son being the third, actually the fourth generation, but great-grandpa was already gone by then. But you know what? He had to make that choice on his own. He couldn't just look up at God and say, yeah, look at, my, look, look at the line. I'm good. We all have to make that. To have that restoration of our relationship with our Savior, salvation, and the joy of our salvation. Don't miss that connection. That having a right relationship with Christ is joyful. Not that everything in life is good, but that He is good. And he's in everything in my life. So I can have joy. It's okay. As I say, maybe too often to say that something is not good, to say that stinks. As my grandpa said on the farm, when you step in the manure, it stinks no matter what you call it. It's okay to admit that, that some things in life just stink. But God is still God. He's with us even in those moments, even when we're the one who stinks. That should give joy in the relationship with him, that ongoing relationship. And then I said, don't forget that last phrase in verse 12, a willing spirit. The phrase that is used there and translated willing spirit, sometimes it's translated free spirit, which is way misunderstood in our culture. I like the phrase in the translation willing much better because what it means is I choose this relationship. I choose willingly to follow Christ. I choose willingly to accept, receive, and live in his salvation. Christ provided it. I couldn't produce it. But I have to be willing to accept it. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. My spirit being willing to be upheld. My spirit being willing to live in joy. Joy doesn't just drop on us. I, I think sometimes we're like, well, how come they're seem joyful and I'm not? Lord, give me some of that. I think he's looking down and going, I've provided the same stuff for you that they have. They chose to live it in joy. You've chose to live it in whatever. A willing spirit. To recognize, Lord, I'm willingly following you. It doesn't mean I always understand it. It doesn't even mean I always like it at first. Because I don't always see the end. Well, let's be truthful. I never see the end. 
and neither do you. But we just take that next right step. And God then shows us what that leads to. That willing spirit. Do you need that restored this morning? A spirit that's willing to follow? A spirit that's willing to obey? A spirit that's willing to serve? A spirit that's willing to just keep on going? Restore to me. We need that restoration. And not last, but listed last. We need the restoration of our salvation. You read in the book of Revelation, the letters to the seven churches. It talks about one of those churches having lost the joy, having lost the excitement, having lost the passion of their first love. That first part in that moment of salvation when we are so grateful for forgiveness, so overwhelmed by grace, so willing to do whatever, whenever, wherever, for whoever. See, that really shouldn't ever go away. It can deepen, it can mature. We recognize realities of life, but we should never dismiss it. Sometimes those of us who have been around a while, in other words, that means we're getting old, look at someone younger at any point in life, whether it's spiritually or relationally or job-wise, career, whatever, and they're all excited about it and we go, yeah, they'll get over it. Wait till life hits them. Man, I hope they never get over it. Why would we want to get over it? Mature, yes. Recognize all the possibilities, sure. But no matter what the possibilities are negatively, let's remember God is still God. He's still calling us. He's still leading us. He's still guiding us. He still desires the best for us. Man, I want to finish this life just as excited about it as I was in the beginning. I don't want to lose that joy. I don't want to lose that passion. I have said from the beginning of my pastoral ministry. Lord, at the point that I can't get excited about serving you, at the point that I can't be excited about opening your word and sharing it, make sure I know it, and that's when I resign. It's not only too important, <laughs> it's too exciting. One of the greatest sins that pastors do is make the gospel boring. There is nothing boring in this book. Not all of it's understandable sometimes, but it's not boring. The same is true in following and serving Christ. There's nothing boring about that. Our services shouldn't be boring. 
we shouldn't be boring. One of the greatest disservices we do in trying to tell others about Christ is to be boring. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be weird. Although I'm a living testimony to weird is okay. In fact, we ought to be somewhat weird because the world doesn't recognize Christ. We do. And as we follow him, it should be full of joy to have that restored. I could spend a long time on that. But you're hungry. How does restoration happen? We look at this psalm and ask that question, how does restoration happen? Pastor, if I'm willing to do this, if I'm saying, okay, how does it happen? You have to understand this. Verse 12, verses 1 and 2, verse 7, verse 10. There can be no restoration until there is first cleansing. There can be no restoration until there is first cleansing. That's why we started in verse 10 last week. Create in me a clean heart. Verse 7 describes some of that cleansing, and I don't have time this morning. I'll try to do that in one of these weeks, giving you a picture of what's really being described in verse 7 about that cleansing that is needed. We have to make sure we have a clean heart, a right and steadfast spirit, as well as a willing spirit, verse 12 tells us. We have to know that before we can be restored, which means we have to admit or confess the need that we need restoration. We don't always admit that, do we? On anything. We think, we had a car one time that the only way you could get in and drive it, when you, after you opened the door, you had to figure out how to close the door. And you go, well, you just pull it. No, didn't work. I mean, you had to pull it, but you had to know the secret. You had to lift, pull, and push down. Otherwise, when you went around a corner, you might exit the vehicle. Or be hanging out by the seatbelt. I told you a couple of weeks ago about the one truck I had. That you had to put the key in. But the key didn't do anything. Except tell the computer that there was a key in there. And it was okay to start it. And we had secret buttons. And you had to know which buttons to push. And in which order to push. So I never took the key out of the truck. Or ever locked it. Because if you didn't know that. You couldn't start it. And I thought that was fine. Until somebody borrowed my truck. And I had to give them the 10-step process to start the truck. And they go, why don't you get that fixed? I went, what needs to be fixed? How much do we do that spiritually? Where God's going, Dennis, <laughs> we got some stuff to clean up here. I go, what? I, I'm, I'm making it. But you see, God's got so much more for us than just making it. We have to recognize cleansing comes first. We've got to admit the need and then realize that God does the cleansing. 
Notice verse one, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. God does that, not us. Verse two, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. God does that, not us. Verse seven, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. God does that. We offer, we must be willing, but God does the cleansing. We can't clean ourselves up. No matter how hard we try. So just submit to him. It's a surrender. Lord, take me. You got to get the kid in the bath before the kid can get cleaned in the bath. Now, that's not the greatest analogy because they're usually not willing. But the picture that's right is they got to get in it to be cleansed by it. With God, the same thing takes place. We must be willing. We admit the need, but recognize God's the one who's going to do the cleansing and the restoring. And then lastly, then what? That's an appropriate question. It's an appropriate question to ask, and? <laughs> we do all this, and then what? For what purpose? Not just to be clean, not just to be restored, but there is a purpose and God has a purpose for every one of us until we exit this life. And then we have a purpose to just praise him and celebrate for eternity. Now, those of you who aren't very happy are going to hate heaven. Those of you who aren't quite sure about this joy thing, you are not going to enjoy heaven at all. Oh, man, I thought of so many good lines right there. In other words, the first thing we need to do is live in joy. You know, well, yeah, I have joy. No, no, live in joy. Live it out. That's what my dad was saying that day is he chose at whichever of the churches he was at to live in joy. We must choose each day to live in joy. Doesn't mean that we say, oh, this isn't difficult. Sometimes it is. And sometimes we have to be the joy for someone else because they're hurting too much. That's part of what we're called to do and part of why we want to have this restored. We must live in joy. Then we need to tell and teach others about it. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return. Verse 15, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you see, we also go through this restoration so that we can rejoice. Scripture tells us that all of heaven rejoices over one person who comes to faith in Christ. In other words, they throw a party every time somebody comes to faith in Christ. We need to rejoice now. 
so we'll be ready when we get there. We need to rejoice now because it attracts people. Not a false bravado, not just making up cheers, but truly rejoicing for who he is and what he has done. Let me close with this. Her name was Miss Sham. She was uh, a matriarch of a Bible college in Iowa called Venard Bible College. I, I uh, taught, was an administrator and a coach there for one year. I, I missed the church. That's why I went back to it. But she impressed me so much. And I probably only had four conversations with her in that year. But what impressed me, she had given her life for that school. She was now in her 90s, had no official capacity, came to chapel every time there was chapel. Came and ate in the cafeteria quite often by choice. I mean, she deserved a medal. But she had felt called to that place, had given everything to that place, was not in good health, was by herself, no family because she had given everything to that school. But every time you saw her, and no matter who asked her, how are you today, Miss Shaw? She gave the same answer. Grateful. You heard her life story and you went, grateful for what? I mean, you're living in this two-room apartment. You've got no savings, no retirement, no family, no position. You're no longer in good health. But it's because she had the right picture of the joy of her salvation. She never lost sight of what God had done for her. And we can't either. Let me ask you, how's your joy today? Not pretending things are great when they aren't, but recognizing even when they aren't that God is still God and he's still my savior. And if he's not, you can make that choice right now. But if he is and you haven't been living that way, this may be the day to say, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Father, thank you for the joy you provide, for salvation and grace, for forgiveness. Lord, for the strength to make it every day. May you guide us, Lord, through this week, in our homes, at our places of work, in the community, and with each other, to live in joy no matter what. May we provide that joy to some of those around us who are hurting. And Lord, together, may our joy and our rejoicing draw others to you. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. I plead for this in Jesus' name. Amen.